0: If you're a software engineer, you've been there. You're finally relaxing after a long day and you get paged. Something's broken. Are the servers down? Is the database slow? Is there a bug in the latest deployment? Now the whole team is panicked, going from tool to tool and person to person to troubleshoot the problem. That won't happen if you get New Relic. New Relic brings together 16 monitoring tools so teams can see across the entire stack from one place. More importantly, with New Relic, you can pinpoint problems down to the line of code to fix problems more quickly. That's why more than 14,000 companies, including DoorDash, GitHub, and Epic Games, use New Relic to debug and improve their software. The next late night call is just waiting to happen. Get New Relic before it does. You can get the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigs of data free forever no credit card required. Just visit newrelic.com slash cloudcast. That's newrelic.com slash cloudcast.
1: Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world.
0: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And as I hit record on this, at least here in the United States and in particular in North Carolina, it is hot, really hot. Summer is upon us, um, probably record highs. Uh, We are approaching that time of the year where... Um, you know, there's fire danger out West in the Western United States. And there is, uh, we're starting to approach hurricane season, uh, here in the Carolinas and along the, this coast as well. So for everyone out there, please, 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 uh, stay safe, uh, and stay cool as well. As we jump into cloud news, I do have, um, three articles this week. One of them, uh, the first one actually is from Cloudcast alum, uh, Dave Valente over at Silicon angle. And he has a really good breakdown around uh, Snowflake. And their kind of plans to make uh, what they're terming a data cloud, uh, a standard. And uh, there is Snowflake Summit coming up uh, for those of you that are interested in that. And Dave, a very lengthy article really breaks down uh, in a very nice fashion their current business. Uh, their latest quarterly results, where they plan to go in the future, and some potential scenarios there as well. So, uh, learned a lot from it. Like I said, lengthy article, lots of data, lots of charts, uh, really, really good read. So, go take a look at that if you're interested in Snowflake. For our second article, I actually uh, wanted to highlight something uh, about Google, and anthos Uh, we don't see honestly that much about it and uh google cloud did this week publish a customer case study and i always like the customer case studies it happens to be redbox Uh, if you're not familiar with them here in the united states at least they're a, a dvd uh rental uh agency and what's interesting about this one is a couple different things uh you know obviously it's it's using the Anthos technology, but why is it using it? Well, they had some interesting, especially uh, ingress issues uh, because they have – some pretty big needs and they also wanted to break it out so they didn't have any single points of failure so how do you take something and make it multi-cluster ingress uh so that was again interesting read as to why they wanted to do it and how they went and solved the problem and lastly uh I wanted to highlight something. and This is more uh, a new uh, feature of the AWS Backup product. AWS Backup now supports backup and restore of VM virtual machines. And those VMs can be on-prem. They can be VMware Cloud on AWS Outposts or it can be in VMware Cloud on AWS. Uh, And I always kind of question... Uh, the motives behind these Um, and what I mean by that is uh, VMware and AWS have played nice Done some good partnerships, but you always kind of wonder what's the motives behind something like that. Is it because they each had different ends of the market and they needed each other? Is it because they had different ends of the market and were trying to uh, take share away from the others? So whenever I see something like this, of it's a bit of crossing the streams, if you will, I always wonder uh, why it actually is. Is it trying to help them? Or is it trying to uh, potentially take some business away? Don't know. Of course, you know, as the article is written up, it's written up that this is, you know, a great thing for all involved. And uh, time will tell. And so I'm going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week. Uh, Coming up right after the break, we have Alyssa Vishnik talking ML observability.
2: Today's show is sponsored by Cloud Zero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, CloudZero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, CloudZero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com/cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com/cloudcast.
0: And we're back and we have a fantastic guest this week. Um, we want to talk about, we, we've talked about AI and ML a, a good bit over the years, but something else we, we really haven't talked about and really dug into super in-depth just yet, is the concept of ML observability. And so for that this week, we have Alyssa Vizhnick, CEO of y Labs, to tell us a little bit more about that and some of the trends and patterns she is seeing in this industry. So first of all, welcome, Alyssa.
1: Hi, Aaron. Really great to be here.
0: Yes, thank you very much. And, and I'll start with this. You are um, what is known as a bit of an AI and ML um, veteran in this space. <laughs> and so, for those sure. that aren't familiar with your previous work, um, can you give everyone just a, a quick introduction in your background?
1: Sure. And thank you for the compliment. Um, so, Alyssa Vishnick here. I'm the CEO and co founder at Y Labs. And my specialty is building tools that power more robust and responsible AI adoption. Throughout my career, I built lots of tools focused on software that runs more robustly and as can be operated more robustly. I spent nine years at Amazon. I joined during a very interesting time—the rise of DevOps—and I participated in moving the entire company towards CI/CD practices, which I'm sure everybody is very familiar with right now. But back in 2008. Uh, it was, you know, a cool philosophy that we were trying to build tools and processes to align with. And later, I moved to the first applied machine learning organization within Amazon, where I deployed some of the first in the industry large-scale machine learning applications to production. These applications spanned, you know, supply chain, recommender systems, computer vision, and it was, you know, 2012, 2013. We didn't really know what kind of awesome adventures await us once we get this technology to production. So I had the joy of carrying the pager when we rolled out the first uh, supply chain forecasting uh, machine learning system and, you know, be woken up in the middle of the night because our AI predicted that we need 10 million black socks and we never needed this many black socks. (laughs) Um, So really faced kind of the joy of operating machine learning uh, firsthand and, Uh, My Amazon journey concluded with building an internal ML platform. And once I saw the impact that such uh, tool chain has on the company and on the ML adoption within the company, I knew that I want to democratize access to these tools and find generalized implementations. So um, after Amazon, I spent some time at the Allen Institute for AI, which is a fundamental AI research institute here in Seattle. And over the two years there, I just spent a ton of time interviewing machine learning practitioners and software engineers and working with scientists at AI2 to really envision what this tool chain would look like. And today we call this toolchain chain MLabs. But back then, we didn't really know what to call it, continuous machine learning. Um, and from that journey came Y-Labs. And at Y-Labs, as you mentioned, we specialize in observability for machine learning and data pipelines. Um, we develop open source tools that help eliminate essentially AI failures and improve AI development velocity.
0: And Alyssa, so we kind of have a running joke, you know, in the in the startup community. It's always like, well, what's it like working at a startup? It's a little bit of well, you're 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 building the plane while you're flying it. But in in your case, you were building a plane while you were flying it when no one else had really built a plane before on top of it. Uh, so, because you know, in the early days of Amazon, you, you didn't necessarily know what success looked like. Um, and and so that kind of takes it, if I take that forward into MLOps, I I feel like it's still an emerging market. Yes, we kind of know what the plane looks like, but it's still emerging in many ways. And, and one of the big things that I see is, you know, of course, data models and training data models, but then there's also this concept of trust of that model. How do we know that that model can be trusted, right? Is that a correct way to kind of just start to think about MLOps at a high level of the problem?
1: Yeah, I think that is a large component of it. Um, And, you know, trust in the case of machine learning models can, is required from different stakeholders, so to say, right? So there are obviously the customers or the end users you and me and, and everybody who's listening whenever you open netflix you become a customer of machine learning models because netflix recommends things to you based on machine learning models they even generate the cover images of all the shows based on machine learning models uh so you know there's not a ton of trusts that we need to put into Netflix recommender algorithms. But when it comes to getting a credit card, for example, that um, gets essentially the decision of giving you a credit card is formed uh, largely by the input uh, into some kind of ML algorithm that that's where trust is, is really needed. So that's from the customer side. But there's also trust from uh, the stakeholders on the organizational side. So in the organization who vents these machine learning applications, um, obviously the, you know, directors of the particular part of the company who's building the machine learning models, they need to trust that they will get the return on the investment because building a model and getting it into production is a really big endeavor, an expensive endeavor. And then in the day-to-day, the data scientists and machine learning engineers who operate these models just like me uh, back at Amazon, they need to trust uh, the outputs. They need to trust that you know the model is doing what they have designed it to do. So it's a very multifaceted, I would, I would say, um, set of trust. And MLOps addresses uh, the big chunk of the trust that comes from the you know data scientists and the mail engineers who operate the model, and then the stakeholders in the organization who um, are kind of betting their business on this model. And of course, uh, the better they do, the better trust they will have with their customers.
0: And, and Alyssa, let's take that even one step further because I, I do think about this you know I'll call it health right um there's model health and then there's data health because there is things like uh drift that could happen over time with with data and so w- when we think about this is is it truly two different things in kind of post deployment of these models that that it can actually be a factor or is it You know, if you have bad health on the model side or the data side, honestly, it doesn't matter. Like, how do you distinguish between the two?
1: Yeah, it's a a really awesome kind of uh, paradigm to think about. So I would say model health and data health are different, but they're intimately connected things. So the way to think about it is in traditional software, we encapsulate rules of how uh, the software needs to behave given certain inputs. And the model just encapsulates examples, <laughs> examples yeah. of how, you know, things behaved maybe in the data that was expressed in the past. So the model is as good as the training data um, that it's given during training. And also the kind of quality of the model and behavior of the model is as good as the data that comes in during the prediction phase. So i would say probably up to uh, up until about 2020 uh, the community of ai practitioners was really focused on model health of what's the performance of the model is it accurate enough is is the accuracy degrading over time and so on and um, there's this growing very important trend in our community right now called the data-centric AI movement. And last year, Andrew Ng launched this movement to shift the focus of AI practitioners from model and algorithm development and model and algorithm help health to the quality of the data that these models use. And this is an important shift because I think it um, kind of highlights the importance of data in in the entire picture. So, data health is almost like a superset of model health. If no matter how good your model is, if it's consuming data that has missing values or duplicates, or data that no longer represents the reality, to give an example, um, during COVID the consumer behavior shifted rapidly, causing uh, what's called data drift and this data drift threw off recommendation supply chain models for basically all retailers uh, which you know cost them a millions and lost opportunity so if we're not catching these drift drifts uh, and changes in data quality it doesn't matter how good our model is because the end result wouldn't be very good for both the um, end customers of the models and the company that operates the models
0: Got you. Okay. Okay. That makes perfect, perfect sense. Thank you. And let's maybe also, you mentioned um, tool chains earlier, and I'm sure tool chains have changed over time. So if you don't mind, maybe give everyone a little background for, for MLOps specifically, where did we start and where are we today? And And what I mean by that is like under the covers, is this is it just a, a logging platform and and it provides visibility into model behavior or how how are we measuring this um and and how do you foresee that going forward as well?
1: I think we should start with. Of looking at the greater tool chain, uh, which is the MLOps tool chain. And uh, MLOps is a growing category of tools. The best way to think about it is that um, it's similar to DevOps. So it encapsulates the tools that we need for operating machine learning applications. And some of these tools are very different uh, from what the DevOps tools offer. And specifically, they some of these tools in the MLOps category focus on how data is doing, how to test data, how to monitor data, and so on. Um, So even a few years ago, MLOps was something that um, basically focused on the infrastructure for getting the model to production. So it was really hard to deploy models to production for many different reasons, uh, mostly because of the lack of reproducibility. So once an experiment is set up, um, it's, typically done in a different environment in the Jupyter notebook and getting that to a large scale and, uh, and a repeatable inference process was really hard. So everybody focused on essentially the pipelines that are needed to get stuff to production. And once once we got things to production, fun stuff started happening. So uh, models started failing. And, you know, examples, as I mentioned, during COVID, the data changed you know, consumer behavior changed, the data changed, then the models no longer delivered uh, the outcomes that they were designed to do. Or, you know, data quality degrades, somebody drops uh, a column from the database, or there is some data transformation step, and the number of duplicates surges and so on, and that causes the model to fail. So once we started noticing these model failures, um... As a community, we started thinking: Okay, what do we do to a identify these failures as fast as possible? Because typically, they affect a small segment of customers in a very severe way. And if you're not monitoring for them or not continuously checking things, you would not know until the customer yells at you. Um, And then, how do we become more proactive about dealing with these failures? So that's where kind of Y Labs uh, comes in. Our job is essentially to and give you transparency into what's happening within your data pipelines that lead up to the machine learning model and to alert you when the model or the data is unhealthy. And, you know, behind the scenes, what happens is um, kind of implement a set of steps that are similar to traditional observability uh, tools. We have um, a logging library which logs the health of the data or rather logs statistical fingerprints of what your data looks like every hour or every day. Um, And that allows you to, you know, look way back at what your data looked like yesterday or day before yesterday or when you trained the model. And that allows us to then consume uh, all of these data logs and look at the differences between them um, and identify anomalies. And when we see these anomalies, we essentially ping um, or notify our customers or users uh, who maintain these models in production and help them debug and help them fix the model as fast as possible.
0: Got you. Okay. Okay. That's that's super helpful. Thank you. Um, and I'll ask a little bit more about um the tool chain then. And, and so every new category of tools or tool chains. Has what I'll just call the leading use cases um, where are you seeing the most traction today? like you mentioned of course retail and some of these other things, but you know when 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 folks start to think about ml ops and and where it is fit where it fits the most or where the low hanging fruit is where 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 do your customers go today <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's a fantastic thing to kind of dive into. So I would say whenever an organization or a team gets to a point where they have a model that is running in production and making predictions that impact you know, some aspect of the customer experience or some aspect of the business, uh, that is a very good time and place to think about MLOps. And what MLOps brings... Um, is a way to test the model every time you do an iteration, the way to test the, the quality of the data pipelines um, and then the way to deploy consistently and the way to monitor. Um, so with with our customers, I would say we are seeing great traction across uh, various industry verticals. And these industry verticals are your typical uh, verticals that you would see and hear about uh, machine learning adoptions in. Um, So that would be healthcare, uh, marketing technology, HR technology, uh, retail, as I mentioned, logistics. So companies that rely on machine learning to power some experiences uh, that they provide to customers or some aspects of their business and once at the, once they have models in production or even just one model in production, they start feeling the pain of operating this model without the right tools, which typically means that they're operating it manually. The data scientists that that would typically be building more models and improving models, they kind of watch the model to make sure it's behaving correctly and not failing. And if you see that in your organization, that is a really good sign that you should look into tools for automating, testing, deployment, and monitoring.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Thank you, Alyssa. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll kind of close out um, with this last question. We, we get a lot of comments, uh, you know, especially with emerging technologies of, of how to get started. And so if there was somebody out there that doesn't necessarily have a background in this, but they would like to get started with this, or they're just interested in digging deeper into MLOps, what would you recommend?
1: Well, they're kind of a range of resources. Depends on your favorite medium to consume <laughs> to consume new information. Um, there is an awesome community called the MLOps community, which has a huge uh, Slack. Um, that is a great starting point for anybody who's diving into MLOps. There are a number of open source libraries which uh, kind of give you the most frictionless uh, way towards uh, MLOps. And at Y Labs, we really believe in the democratization of the tools that allow you to operate machine learning models robustly and responsibly. So we have an open source library that enables logging and uh, monitoring and testing your data and models. And the library is called YLogs. It's available on GitHub, fully open source, no strings attached. Um, so that's another great way to get started with some of the best Practices. Um, and then I would say there is a lot of different content that's written up. Uh, some of my favorite stuff um, is uh, put together by Data Centric AI Group. So it's a group that was started by Andrew Ng, and it's kind of a really massive movement that brings together the concepts from machine learning operations and really the focus on the data in this this entire tool chain. So datacentricai.org is a really good set of resources that is ever-growing and is really high quality.
0: Great, great. And what we'll do is um, for everyone that's interested, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes for this as well. So Alyssa, thank you very much for your time today. And, and with that, I will close this out for this week. On behalf of Brian, who wasn't able to make it today, thank you everyone um, who took the time this week to listen. And for those of you that have questions, uh, make sure you get hold of us through all the usual ways. And also, please tell a friend or leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts as well. So Alyssa, again, thank you for your time this week, and we will talk to everyone next week.
1: Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.